Hello, my name is David Solar and I'm the Director of Marketing at Encore Tours. I'm proud to announce that we recently launched a brand new series of virtual events called Encore Live. These fun and informal events were designed to feature our amazing tour managers, music directors, concert managers, and all the other valuable members of our global network. We're all missing travel right now, but this series will try to support music educators and directors while providing unique insights into culture, history, and current events. On Thursday, August 13th, we held an event entitled Encore Live, Ireland, A Musical Rebellion, which examined several songs that embody Ireland's history of revolution and uprising. Although it was originally intended as a visual medium, we hope you'll enjoy this presentation and will join us for future Encore Live events. Thank you so much for listening, and without further ado, Encore Live, Ireland, A Music Rebellion. Hello, and welcome to today's Encore Live presentation, Ireland, A Music Rebellion. I'm your host, John Linker, Program Consultant at Encore Tours, coming to you from my home office in Massachusetts. I know we have participants from all around the country, and on behalf of all of us at Encore, thank you so much for joining us today. We're going to spend the next 30 minutes or so learning about the history and importance of music in Irish culture and giving you the story behind the music. Specifically, we'll be looking at several well-known Irish songs and the role they played in Irish rebellion. Ireland has always been a popular destination for our touring ensembles, and we'll often hear a highlight of the trip was hearing live music in a local pub or sharing a concert with a traditional Irish ensemble. Today, we get to learn more about the meaning and significance of this music that we all enjoy. To serve as our guide and resident expert, we're pleased to have joining us from across the pond, one of our longtime Encore tour managers, Mr. Adrian Metcalf. Hi there, how are you doing? Cade Milia Falcha, Adrian, it's so great to have you with us today. Uh, the Zoom floor is yours. I turn it over to you. Go ahead, man. Hello, John. Uh, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, let me introduce myself again. My name is um, Adrian Metcalf. Uh, I apologize uh, in advance for any um, technical issues that may or may not occur. Um, uh, they're going to be my fault because I'm usually quite uh, bad at this sort of thing. Uh, nevertheless, um, I'm just going to say to you all, uh, top of the morning to you. Now, I know it's not the morning with me, but uh, it is with you. Um, and I do have an Irish passport, and so I am allowed to say that. Uh, and uh, it comes from an Irish phrase, which means the best of the morning to you, and the correct response is usually, and the rest of the day to you. So, Barnar Mage and wheat. So, welcome to How uh, a Musical Rebellion, How Music Helped Shape the Nation. Now, um, I've been a tour manager with uh, Encore for a very long time, for over 20 years now. So, when they asked if I would think about doing something for them on music and its influence on Ireland and, and, and how that has helped shape the nation, I was more than happy to oblige. But um, I just think it's probably best for me to point out right from the start um, that I am not a musician. I'm sorry, 
I'm not a musician, I'm not a member of a choir, and nor am I able to read music. But what I am is a Celt, uh, which means that I'm a total Celt. My mother was Irish, my father was Welsh. And this means that music is part of our lives. I mean, here we are, I've got some a Welsh male voice choir standing in front of Millennium Centre in Cardiff, um, one of the traditional music nights that we have in, in some of our pubs in Dublin. Music in the Celtic world is everywhere. It's part of our play, it's part of our work, it's part of our life itself. Um, you know, music is speech, and, and many people say that our speech is musical. And it's no coincidence, I don't think, that some of the best exponents of, of the written word in English grew up in, in, in Ireland or, or Wales. Um, uh, Yeats, Keeney, Oscar Wilde, Dylan Thomas. Um, in, in fact, in one Celtic language, Welsh, the word for poem and the word for music is the same word. The word is kerv. Now, every traditional Irish song tells a story. Some of my earliest memories are being bounced on knees of various members of the family, usually female, it must be said, and, and they, they would sing songs to me, songs with titles like The, the Spinning Wheel or Botany Bay or uh, David Gary Gwen, or indeed, this particular song. Dublin's fair city, where the girls are so pretty, I first set my eyes on sweet Molly Malone. So, ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure that that song is familiar to you all. Now, when it was when I was being bounced on on the knees, um, I wasn't necessarily sure that that song told the tale of of poverty in 18th century Ireland and the things that, that, that women have to do to survive. Um, but nevertheless, I did enjoy the, 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 the beauty of the storytelling. Um, now, moving further on, I'm sure that you all know, um, the Celts were spread all over Northern Europe, um, but conquest, migration, weather, uh, meant that by the time we get to about 100 AD, that's after the Roman invasion of Britain, uh, there are essentially six Celtic nations as we know it. Um, there are the Celtic P countries, which if you follow my cursor, you can see here, and the Celtic Q countries, uh, and they're the ones here. So the Celtic P countries are Wales, Cornwall, and Brittany on the west coast of France, and uh, the Celtic Q ones are Scotland, just here, the Isle of Man, and the island, I-S-L-A-N-D, of Ireland, I-R-E-L-A-N-D. Um, and this meant that essentially these two, and Ireland, where we're talking about now, they essentially were, were, were left alone. Now, it is true, the Romans did come to Ireland um, very briefly. Uh, they landed, um, and it was probably raining, and it was certainly freezing cold. And no self-respecting Italian soldier wanted to spend any more time there in that freezing place than was absolutely necessary. And so they left. So here's Ireland. And as I was saying, the Romans came uh, and they left, but they named it before they left. They named this area Hibernia. Now, Hibernia is Latin for 
land of total winter. So you can imagine that's what the, that's what the Italians thought about us. Um, and it would be wrong to say then, though, that Ireland was left to itself for the next 2,000 years. The Vikings came and they settled. The Vikings did settle, but on the coast, on the coast of Ireland. And most of the cities of Ireland, Dublin, Waterford and around, they're built out of Viking settlements. But the Vikings and the native Irish had a big battle in 1014. Uh, and the High King of Ireland, who was a native Irishman by the name of Brian Baru, he won that battle. And he carried before him his symbol. And his symbol is here. It can be seen in the Trinity College Dublin uh, Library. Um, which is a, a visit that we do all the time. The library is in the background there. The library, incidentally, is also the basis for the Jedi Library, if there are any Star Wars fans amongst you. Um, but this is his uh, harp. So as you can see, the harp becomes the symbol of an independent, free island. And some years later, the harp is used, albeit turned the other way around, for one of the most famous symbols of, of, of Irish creation, namely Guinness. So as you can see, music is inherent in the concept of Irish identity and it is concept of Irish freedom. Now moving on here, we've got three very famous bands from Ireland. We've got the Dubliners here, Thin Lizzy here, and U2, rock bands, the bottom two. But all three of these bands have had huge hits with traditional Irish rebel songs or ballads. Um, and the Irish were arguably the last of the Celtic nations to be completely annexed, if you like, by a foreign power, whether it be England or France. And they are the first and probably only of those nations to be autonomous again. Music played an enormous part in the regaining of that autonomy. So I'd like to talk about the importance of music in the sort of, to the Celtic soul of rebellion. Uh, about music as a tool for change and how music in the Celtic world in general and Ireland in particular is as much social history and politics as it is entertainment. And to do this I've picked three uh, famous songs or famous tunes um, which you can easily find on a jukebox if, if, if one such exists in your local Irish bar or if you pick up a or go to Spotify or, or all of those things. Um, and I'd like to reflect on how those songs are, if you like, the social media of the day. Now, our next slide is the United Irishman Rebellion. Let me just say, we Irish were really good at starting rebellions. We were really bad at finishing them. We'd start them, and invariably they'd end in a big battle that would result in the Irish losing. Um, and the first big rebellion happens all the way back with the Desmond Rebellion in, in the 16th century against Elizabeth I. But this is the important one that we're starting off with. This is the United Irishman Rebellion of 1798. Um, and it's led by these two really charismatic guys, Edward Fitzgerald and Theobald Wolfe Tone. His name is important in terms of Irish music. The other thing that's really important about these two is that they are Protestants. Okay. The rebellion happens in 1798, the world goes out and they move to their first battle. And the first song I'm going to play for you is called The Rising of the Moon. 
Now the lyrics will come up on the screen, just to have a look at the lyrics too. Keep them in mind. So that was the rising of the moon and there are many versions of it. That one was by the Dubliners, uh, but there are versions by another rebel, rebel band called the Wolf Tones. You see what they did with the name there? Sinead O'Connor, who's a very famous singer, and there are, there are countless others. Now the story's simple. Sean O'Farrell was on his way to a battle where the pikes must be together at the rising of the moon. And the battle is to rebel against the English. Now, ultimately, this battle is lost. It's called the Battle of Vinegar Hill. But, and this is the important part of the story, it goes on to say that others will rebel in the future, and what will come out of it is... Death to every foe and traitor Whistle out the marching tune And hurrah, me boys, for freedom Tis the rising of the moon Tis the rising of the moon Tis the rising of the moon And hurrah, me boys, for freedom Tis the rising of the moon Now, you can see there that... Um, uh, the song goes on. But you may, because you know, you're all musicians, you may recognize the tune, but think to yourself, I've heard that, but with slightly different lyrics. So for example, does anyone know the song, The Wearing of the Green? Now it was the United Irishman who adopted green as the color of Irish freedom. And it was their defeat in 1798 that resulted in the English making green a band colour in Ireland. So moving on. Oh Paddy dear, and did you hear the news that's going round? The shamrock is by law forbid to grow on Irish ground. St. Patrick's Day no more will keep his colours can't be seen For they're hanging men and women for the wearing of the green So the wearing of the green. Now, you may also know that song in other forms. It's been used countless times, the tune. Some people know it as the orange and the green, uh, which is a song about a mixed Protestant and, and Catholic relationship. Um, uh, you know, if you like the Montagues and the O'Capulets or something of that nature. It's, it's a tune which encapsulates the idea of Irish unity. And it's no coincidence that between 1840 and 1870, many versions of this song with different lyrics appear. Um, there's another rebellion in 1848. And in that rebellion, Thomas Marr, uh, who later, believe it or not, became the governor of Montana. 
uh, and then went on to lead the Fighting Irish in the Civil War, he raised his greatest invention, if you like, for the first time in that rebellion in 1848. And here it is. He was the man who came up with the concept of the Irish trickler. So you have the green here uh, for the, the Catholic side of Ireland. You have the orange here for the Protestant side of Ireland, united in the peace of unity, which is represented by the white. And here he is, uh, I'm showing off my state capital knowledge. This is Helena, Montana. Uh, and this is Waterford in Ireland, where he was born. Um, I now just, we're going to move on to our second song. Oh, yes. I just wanted to point out again to our participants, as I mentioned at the top, you are muted. So if you all feel like singing along with some of these songs, go right ahead because we can't hear you. It's perfectly fine. Um, but Adrian, I wanted to ask you, there's a wonderful history behind this music. Are these songs still popular today? And is this type of music still uh, popular with the young folks in Ireland today? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, um, to go back to what I was saying at the beginning there, John, it's um, music is part of the soul. It's part of the identity. And it's a very sort of complicated thing to say, you know, I, I sing because. But um, every year in, in Dublin between in the last week in January, there's a huge what we call a trad fest where traditional musicians from not just from Ireland, but from all over the world. They come and, and they're plonked in corners in pubs in the Temple Bar and they play and um, that picture that I showed you right at the beginning um, of traditional music night in an Irish bar. That's a bar called O'Donoghue's, just off St. Stephen's Green in the centre of Dublin. Um, and that's the bar where the Dubliners uh, were formed. Um, and you can go in there at 8.30, sit in the far end of the bar, and uh, if you've got a musical instrument, you can join in. Um, there, isn't a, there isn't a town uh, of any size in Ireland that does not have a trad bar, which is playing music every night. So yes, it is really popular. And, um, and we all know all the words. I mean, we know the right words. So if anyone sings the wrong ones or different ones to us, we know they're wrong because we know the right words. But you understand my point is that, yeah, trad music is really, really popular. Um, so shall I, can I, shall I move on? Great. Um, so uh, now we're gonna move on to our next song. This is a, 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 our second song. Um, here we are. This is called uh, The Fields of Athen Rye. Now, those of you that know this song, I defy you. How many of you have shed a tear late at night while listening to this? So let's go. By a lonely prison wall I heard a young girl calling Michael For you stole Trevelyan's corn So the young might see the morn Now, ladies and gentlemen, that song is um, one of the most popular songs in Ireland. You will hear it um, everywhere. Um, you'll hear it sung at rugby games with, with great gusto and, and no sense of irony by, by Irish and Munster supporters alike. Um, it's a song that, that's often used to clear bars, you know. Oh, look, they're playing Fields of Attenroy, it's time to go home now. You know, um, it's, it's just, it is everywhere. But it is a song that is um, draped, if you like, in the, in the sadness of the Irish experience. 
Um, I'm, by that, what I mean is, it's impossible to explain to anyone um, who isn't Irish um, quite how important the influence of the Irish famine or how the, the Irish famine played a role in the shaping of, of the nation and in the development of the Irish psyche. Um, the historical facts of the famine are simple. It was a potato blight that happened in the 1840s. It almost completely destroyed the potato crop for about five years. And the potato was the staple diet of the population in the West. And it resulted in massive, massive food shortages and hunger. And the famine was all over the West of the country. It's not an exaggeration to say that hundreds of thousands of people died. Um, so much so that the population of Ireland um, uh, dropped from 8 million, um, of the island of Ireland that is, uh, it dropped from 8 million to 4 million in the space of 10 years. And that was through, not just through death, but it was also through emigration or, or transportation. Now, the stories of, of English landlords eating five course meals while Irish starved outside their windows, I mean, they were shocking enough. Um, even more shocking than that is the fact that Dublin, um, at this point in the 18th century, in the 19th century, was the second most wealthy city in the British Empire. Belfast was beginning to become phenomenally wealthy. People flocked to Belfast. Um, but the, the story that really brings home about the famine is, is, is the one that, that um, there are tales of mothers who would force their children to commit crime so that they could be arrested and thrown into prison because in prison they were fed. But then they might be transported. Um, and transported means sent to a penal colony in Australia. And it's about this transportation which the song speaks. Um, you're leaving Ireland, Michael. You look back, you see the fields for the first, for the last time. You're off to Botany Bay for a tiny crime. And that crime is, you stole Trevelyan's corn that your young might see the morn. Now, Trevelyan at the time was the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland. And he famously said that the famine was, to use his words, God's calamity to teach the rebellious Irish a lesson. And that had a huge effect on people. There are famine memorials all over Ireland and, and all over the world where the Irish went. Um, here in Dublin, um, you can see along the banks of the Liffey, Liffey these, uh, these people are, are leaving. Um, they're going towards the port. And this wonderful memorial was built down in Battery Park in New York City. Um, where uh, the artist has tried to recreate some of the homes in the West that they might have left behind. Um, so literally hundreds of thousands of people died and millions left. Um, they were almost all Catholic, they were almost all Irish speaking, and they were almost all poor. And this shaped Ireland forever. In Irish, the famine is called the Great Hunger. But perhaps the greatest way of describing to you exactly how deeply the famine affects the Irish is, is the fact that when you find out that the fields of Athen Rye wasn't written in the 1840s, it was written in the 1970s. And moreover, it was written by the uh, an Australian whose family were forced to emigrate. Um, 
it's a powerful, powerful song, and it's really taken to the taken the Irish psyche deep, deep on the woods. So, Adrian. Yes, it, John. It certainly makes sense with the amount of Irish that emigrated to the U.S. that there would be an influence on music in America from Ireland. And you had a an interesting insight when we were talking yesterday about a particular form of American music that can trace its history back to Ireland. Maybe you could discuss that a little bit. Uh, yes, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And uh, if you look at uh, the music that came from the, the Celts in Ireland, um, Scotland and, 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 and Wales, that went over to the States and to the Appalachians, and lots of people, you know, similar, music, similar musical instruments. Um, and of course, the style of that music is known as bluegrass. Um, now, uh, the, the town in Scotland, is, which is called Glasgow, G-L-A-S, there's a, one of these odd things is that in, in the Celtic languages, um, there is one word that you can use to describe both green and blue, and that's glass. So quite often, grass is described as glass. So it is blue grass, if you see what I'm saying. So, so blue grass, we think possibly could be the name that was given to that style of music because it came it was so heavily influenced by some of the Celtic language speakers that came over in the 16th, 17th and 18th century. Um, and Irish music, uh, the, the, the sort of community of Irish music, and by that what I mean is, you were talking earlier about the trad music, yeah, it's played in the pub, but also music is inherent everywhere. And I think that community, um, uh, if you'll forgive me for saying this as somebody from, from my part of the world, I used to love watching episodes of the Waltons because that whole family identity was something that, that we related to quite hugely. Um, um, so uh, I hope that that's helped answer your question there, John. I'm going to move on a bit now to, to our, our final song, um, but to put it into its political perspective. Um, the final song we're going to talk about is a song called The Foggy Dew, and this refers to the Easter Rising, and the Easter Rising happens in, in 1916. Um, and uh, in 1916, seven men, these seven men that you can see here, uh, they signed a proclamation, the Proclamation of the Republic, and they declared Ireland a republic and independent from Great Britain. Um, and this proclamation was, was declaimed on the steps of the General Post Office uh, on the main street in Dublin, which, is, which was called Sackville Street. It's now called O'Connell Street. Um, this was when the I members of the Irish Citizen Army that were led by this man here, who's called Joseph Connolly, uh, they staged uprisings all over Dublin uh, and they tried to wrest control of the city from the British. Now, ultimately, unsurprisingly, uh, it ended in defeat. Um, and they surrendered six days later. Now, the leader, uh, of the whole uprising was this man here, Portrait Pierce. And he, um, he surrendered on the streets of Dublin to the British. As a result of this uprising, all seven of these signatories, along with uh, nine other people, were executed. Um, and, uh, and over a thousand rebels were imprisoned all over the UK. This is the prison in Dublin. Uh, where most of them were, were imprisoned. Um, just here, you might recognize the inside of this prison. It's been in many, many films, it's called Kilmain in Jail. And this is the point where they were actually executed. There were rebels that weren't executed, 
Um, just a few of them here. Uh, this character here is a man called Eamon de Valera. Uh, this man is Michael Collins. And this lady is Lady Constance Markiewicz. Constance and Eamon de Valera were um, sentenced to death, but their um, sentences were commuted. Now, the thing that was interesting, during the course of this rebellion, over 450 people passed away. Most of them were civilians. However, it marks the beginning of the end of British rule in most of Ireland. So we're going to move on now and just listen and have a look at some of the lyrics for this next song, which we're going to play, which is called The Foggy Dew. So, the foggy dew there, ladies and gentlemen. And you can hear, so think back to some of the lyrics. You know, the men are massing, the silence has marked the gravity of the situation. Um, you can hear references to the Angelus bell, that's the, you know, dawn's coming. As I rode out one Easter morn, so that's the Easter rising. Twas better to die under an Irish sky than at Subla or Sudelbar. Now, Sulva, Sudelbar, these are, these are, um, are battles from uh, from Gallipoli and from from you know the, the sort of eastern Levant. Um, so you know we should be fighting in Ireland. Britannia's Huns with their great big guns, um, and um, that's true. I mean the 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 the, uh, the dreadnought boats came all the way up the Liffey and they they shelled the town. So it's 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 you know bloody propaganda. Now, in my opinion. Uh, Regardless of the outcome, the Easter Rising was a really, really stupid idea, to be honest. I mean, regardless of your thoughts about how it ended, um, whoever thought it would be a good idea to stage an uprising in the middle of a war when Britain are on a war footing, when they will react in a very warlike way. There were over 200,000 men, um, Irishmen fighting on the Western Front, um, and... Um, and the wives of these men couldn't get paid because the general post office had been bombed. Um, but the, the brutality of the response worked in Irish favour. And in 1918, in the general election, um, at the end of the war, the Irish Independence Party, a party that was called Sinn Féin, they won over 70 seats. And soon after that, because of you know, songs like the Foggy Dew that had been sung around the, the pubs for, and, 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 and villages for two years, um, the Irish War of Independence begins. Now, it's not a war that Ireland won. It was a draw, if you like. And then there was a sort of treaty. Um, but as you can see, songs like the Foggy Dew were really important in the idea of pushing Irish uh, rebellion and, and, and identity. Now, that brings me to the end of my talk now, ladies and gentlemen, and I, I'm sorry if I've, I've, I've been a little tedious, but I could go on for hours about different songs and, 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 and great Irish songs with history in mind. Um, uh, there's Irish Rover and the way that could be affected to the emigration to the States. Uh, there's the One Road or Come Out Your Black and Tans, and that's the War of Independence. And if you don't need more, you'll be the star of your local Paddy Day's party. Um, and do remember that there's almost certainly somewhere in your family the soul of an Irish rebel, 
um, because so many of us emigrated in the 19th century. Um, uh, the full name of perhaps one of the most famous rebels of all time um, is uh, a man by the name of Shea Ernesto Guevara Lynch and his family originally came from Galway. So um, I, you can see where I'm coming from. But ladies and gentlemen, thanks ever so much for listening. Go uh, Reh as we say in Irish, in the Irish. And um, uh, if you've got any questions, then, then please ask away. Um, thanks ever so much for listening. Thank you, Adrian, that's fantastic. Uh, you could stop sharing your screen at this point if you'd like. And if I knew how to stop share, it's at the top. There we go. There we go. And I just wanted to ask you, you know, given your experience having led so many encore tours in Ireland, are there any, for our groups that are, are planning tours to Ireland or are hoping to go uh, at some point here in the near future, are there any particular pieces of music you feel like local uh, crowds would love to hear American ensembles play? And conversely, are there any pieces of music that American groups should avoid? Um, well, th that's actually a very interesting question. I mean, one of the things that, that is great about um, being with Encore is that one of the things you see when you're standing at the back of a venue is that quite often the songs that, that we really love to hear um, when we go to see an American ensemble is um, uh, our American songs. And by that, what I mean is the songs that, that they sing really, really well. But of course, the crossover between Irish traditional music and a lot of uh, traditional um, US music is, 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 is very strong. Um, and we love to hear, uh, we love to hear good ballads um, uh, and uh, some, some great up, upbeat numbers as well. Um, but, um, you know, Danny Boy is obviously a very, very popular one all the time. Um, but uh, we love to hear, so if it's a gospel choir, we love to hear gospel music, you know, we just love music. So really um, come along and, 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 and more importantly than all of that, we love to see people enjoying themselves. You did have a, a question come in about uh, if you know what period the song Arthur McBride refers to. Um, Arthur McBride, that's, if it's the song that I think it's referring to, there are a number of versions. One is Arthur McBride, one is Willie McBride. Um, can I, if the person is singing, does it, is it, um, well, how do you know, Yahoo, Willie McBride, if it's that one, then I can tell you what that's referring to. Uh, that's referring to the First World War. Um, and I think Arthur McBride is a version of that. Um, so I'm going to say, I believe, uh, if I've got the right connection, that we're talking about the First World War. Um, but what I'll also do is I'll, I'll look it up to see if I've, I've found the wrong one and I will email you, John, and you can tell the participant um, what I discover. Wonderful. And just to close out, I'm sure folks would be interested to hear um, you know, what's going on in Ireland these days. Is, uh, is live music happening? What's the, you know, are, are pubs open? What's the situation with, uh, with music right now and performances? Um, there is no uh, um, live music in pubs. There is live music outside pubs. Um, uh, so uh, not all pubs are open. Pubs that have an outdoor area, um, performance venues that have an outdoor area, um, there are performances there with social distancing outside. Um, in terms of pubs, um, pubs that don't serve food uh, are not opening until the end of the month. The pubs that do serve food are, um, but there's no performance inside at the moment. We're hoping that uh, inside performances, our T-Shock is thinking that it's going to be towards the middle of October, start of November. That's the hope. 
there are some theatre venues open, again, with social distancing. Wonderful. Well, thank you once again, Adrian, for, uh, for your time and your presentation and giving us all this uh, expertise and knowledge. I again want to thank all our participants from all around the U.S. for, for joining us. Before we go, I do want to let everyone know about our next Encore Live webinar. We're going to continue with this series. Uh, it's going to take place next week. Uh, and this next session is going to feature another one of our amazing Encore tour managers, Sonia Beck, who's going to take us to Spain and discuss flamenco as an art form, musical discipline, and philosophical influence on all areas of Spanish life. Uh, so please uh, look out for an email invitation that should be coming to you soon uh, with the details about that Encore Live webinar. And we hope we will see you next week for that session as well. Um, from all of us at Encore Tours, again, once again, thank you for joining us today and we hope you have a, a wonderful rest of your day. And thank you to Adrian as well. Thanks, John. Thanks everybody for listening and watching. <laughs>